Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Thank you for listening. Um, thanks for hanging in with us during these long summer months. Um, so I'm recording this on Monday, the 25th of September, uh, 2023, and it was only last night that we received a negotiations update saying that the WGA and the AMPTP have reached a tentative agreement on the MBA. Um, this is exciting news. You know, I'm I'm still cautiously optimistic about it, but I'll say genuinely, uh, this this confounded my expectations. I I really thought we had at least another month of negotiations to go through. But um, last week, you know, the the CEOs and our our negotiating committee sat down for four or five days straight and they hammered something out. Um, and I'm impressed and I'm, I'm excited to see what's in it. As of now, we don't know what is in this tentative agreement. Um, that has to go through some rounds of leadership at our union. And then it'll come to us, the, uh, guild membership to vote on it. Um, so I'll have a better idea in the next few days, but you know, we're going to print on this tomorrow. For sure, we will get um, we'll get some folks who know what they're talking about to come on the podcast real soon to talk about uh, these deal points and what they mean and and just how how well we did because I can't imagine we did anything but very well on this agreement. You know, I think our leadership has our our needs in mind, and I think they are acutely aware and and have the experience to be aware of where we're coming from as, you know, working writers in an industry that has changed enormously in the last decade um, in a way that I think, you know, past leaderships were not. Uh, I think we've seen that time and time again during this strike, which is almost over, uh, at least for us, uh, the writers, because these SAG after strike continues. And I'm curious too about how that's going to play into things. You know, I know that we have, I'm sure that we have as part of our agreement, the um, ability to continue striking until SAG reaches an agreement. Um, I'd be surprised if they don't get back to the table quick now that this has been hammered out, at least in its preliminary stages. Uh, and, and I sincerely hope they do so we can start things up and maybe salvage a few months of this year. Um, because this year has been weird. I mean, look, the past five years have been weird. The past three years have been weird. So the industry is weird. And I'm curious to see how things change coming out of the new agreement. Um, and, and what kind of systemic changes, um, will come out of this, but you know, that's, that's a time we'll, tell kind of thing. But as I said, we'll, we'll get some folks in to hopefully talk to us about that. Um, and, and allay some concerns or answer some questions. Certainly I have a lot of them. Um, so we'll, we'll try to do that in the next week. Meantime, folks keep writing. Um, I will say from my perspective, the strike has been an incredibly creatively productive time. Um, my writing partner and I have been working on three feature scripts um, that are sort of all in various states of completion, uh, and we're really excited about them. It, it Writing them felt freeing in a way that writing hasn't felt in, in some time. Um, and I know from talking to writers on the line and talking to writers at, at meetups and stuff that Everyone is sort of feeling that they they got to write their weird stuff with no outside forces weighing in on them about it, um, not causing them to second guess themselves. So I'm excited to see the creative output that comes from this time. Um, hopefully, you know the studios and the streamers and and um, the the feature film companies have the guts to make these things because there is a hunger for it. As I talked about in my newsletter over at benblacker.substack.com, 
um, in, in my conversation about Barbie, which to me is just a fun, crazy, wild movie that has something to say, but that never shies away from big swings. Um, it's been a great year for movies. Um, I'm excited to be talking about them over on the Substack. Um, I would urge you to go check out the the entry called I Like Movies Now, uh, because I do. Uh, and I'll be, as we roll into October, I'll be recommending some horror movies that might have escaped your attention in the past. Um, that'll be fun. Um, and of course, if you become a paid subscriber to the Substack, you will have access to our live Zoom Q&As with professional writers. We've got a couple of great ones coming up. My pals, Jenny Klein, who you know from a whole bunch of shows. She was on The Witcher. She worked. Uh, she got her start on Supernatural. She worked on Daisy Jones and The Six. Um, she's a great writer, a great person, has lots to say. And then soon thereafter, we'll talk to Ben Edlund, who of course is best known as the creator of The Tick in all of its incarnations. Um, but I, uh, Ben and I met on Supernatural and, you know, he's just a marvel to be in the writer's room with. He's uh, incredible on the page. Ben may be the um, purest writer that I know. You know, he is a writer in every aspect of that word and so thoughtful about the process and and ways to express himself. Um, so that's the next couple of months um, over on the Substack Live Zoom Q&As. Again, become a paid subscriber. Go to benblacker.substack.com. I appreciate it. You know, all this stuff is work, and it's the thing that has been carrying me through the strike, and honestly, that was carrying me through uh, the podcast is what carried me through lockdown, uh, all of these other jobs that I find myself doing in addition to writing, including coming up at the end of October, um, I'm teaching another script anatomy class. This is this is the fun one. This is the one I really enjoy. Uh, this is the draft intensive in which you will go from outline to script. The class is three sessions over six weeks. So you've got a couple weeks in between each session, during which time you will write various pieces of your draft. Um, and then, you know, we'll do lectures in class, which are really helpful, as well as get notes from me and your classmates. And, you know, we try to foster a writer's room feel and a real collaborative effort. And so far, you know, I've done three of these classes so far, and they're really fun. And it's all, I've always had a great group of students with really great material, too. So please come be a part of it, um, especially if you missed out on the secret class, the invite-only class that I was doing. This might be a good substitute for that. Um, go to scriptanatomy.com, go to the class calendar, and scroll down to till you see my face. Uh, it's the draft intensive, and it starts on October 22nd. Um, I'm really looking forward to that one. I hope you'll be a part of it. Um, all right. For today's podcast, we've got comics writer and television writer, Jerry Duggan. Um, I've known Jerry for years. He is a terrific writer. Uh, Jerry was sort of instrumental in in helping Ben and me get our start in comics uh, when he, back when he was working on Deadpool for Marvel. Um, these days, he's doing a ton of stuff, including Uncanny Avengers. Uh, that's his, his current book. Um, but he's, you know, writing a bunch of creator-owned things, um, which you can find out about over at jerryduggan.substack.com. That's Jerry, G-E-R-R-Y-D-U-G-G-A-N. Um, the reason I first reached out to Jerry was because after 20 years of, of you know, working in this town and going to conventions as a comics writer and, you know, working on, um, like awards shows and stuff, because he's a joke, great joke writer. Um, Jerry put together collections of photographs that he had been taking, and he is truly a remarkable photographer. Um, these, these photos, uh, which he put together in a collection called Timing Slash Luck, uh, which I think speaks to how so many of us feel about our careers here and the opportunities we get, um, in this business. Um, he, he kickstarted this endeavor. Um, so, but he's still got copies of timing 
luck that you can get, I believe, through his Substack. That's, again, jerryduggan.substack.com. Um, and regardless, it's worth poking around in his Substack just to see these photos. You know, he's posted a lot of stuff. He's posted on social media over the years. Um, but as we talk about seeing these photos tell the story of his 20 years in Hollywood, which coincidentally coincide with my 20 years in Hollywood, um, was a, a moving experience for me. And I really loved the way that Jerry thinks visually. And I think you can see this in his comic book work. Um, I highly recommend checking out his, and we talk about this in, on, in the interview, but The Giant Cockjew, which is his anatomically correct monster movie um, in comic book form, which, like all the stuff Jerry does, is hilarious and gross and weird, but also very personal and, and emotional. And like that he brought that stuff to Deadpool, you know, 10 years ago is kind of amazing. You know, he took what was and could be a joke character and, and gave him surprising depth. Anyway, I reached out to Jerry after looking at looking through timing luck um, and said, let's talk about approaching things visually. And we do talk about that. But what we wind up with is a much more wide-ranging conversation. Um, this was obviously recorded before the end of the strike. I mean, I'm recording this before the end of the strike. Um, so we do talk a little bit about the strike, and and he and I have been out, been out on the picket line together a little bit, um, which has been really, you know, it's honestly, it's been a lot of fun. It's a fun time to talk about comics and where we see the industry going. Jerry's smart about that stuff, and I think you'll get a lot from it. So Again, go check out uh, jerryduggan.substack.com. Upgrade to paid subscriber for him too. You know, like, let's support the stuff that we love. Uh, I do feel like that is important and and more and more going directly to the creators of the stuff is the way to do that. So support Jerry's work. um, And as I said, if you go over to Ben Blacker, dot substack.com you can support my work because this podcast and the the newsletter those are work thank you for listening i really appreciate everyone who does i appreciate you um leaving comments in the newsletter too to let you know to let me know that you're listening and what you like um that's always really enjoyable to me and very satisfying all right um more on the strike hopefully next week um but you know in the meantime hey Good job. Good job out there. Thanks for your support if you are pre-WGA, and um, congrats to us if you are fellow WGA members. All right, here's Jerry Duggan. Oh, yeah! Jerry Duggan is here. Jerry, of course, a wonderful writer of comic books and films and comedy, and like you, I feel like you have a career similar to like what Acker and I do, where like we just want to tell stories and we'll do it for whoever will let us. Yes. I think that's really true. Um, and you know, I certainly feel privileged to have been, um, asked to do so many different things over the years or was not, um, maybe properly intimidated away from doing things (laughs) that I, so I said yes to things, maybe not knowing quite how to do it. Um, I, I thought I was going into late night uh, writing and you know i did while write a lot of live tv for for g4 um but but comic books was a um one of my first loves and so um you know i I, i've been lucky enough to be making my own comic books with with collaborators and then was asked to to write a little bit for marvel and dc and then that turned into a lot Let's sort of, before we get into the topic that I I wanted to rope you into, um, let's talk about how things are going right now. How how is your strike? How is your mental health? Um, You are, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started rolling, like you are like me doing a lot of other things besides WGA covered work. And that eats up a lot of your time, which can give sort of mixed feelings about picketing. It it does. It's, um, you know, I... um... I do. I, I think maybe survivor's guilt is uh, a, a term that I would throw around. I I'm have always been grateful for anyone that that took a 
chance on me to to pay me but i i work really hard at it and comic books is not, not struck work um you know part of the business has been writing uh work for higher comics for for merrily marvel but also uh, dc and then part of the business was um collaborating on my own comic books so um that we'd have something that we we'd owned and then that was actually my entrance in into the wga um was just politely saying no thank you unless there was a writing component for me to um adapt my uh my collaborations and so um there's something a lot of attraction that we hope picks back up after um the strike but you know it's it's an anxious time you don't know maybe your execs leave maybe the company gets folded in with another company maybe um there's a, a million maybes and we sit around and we're writers so we're all automatically already predisposed to worrying about things um that we can't control uh it's so it's hard um even with you know a partial income whereas some of our brothers and sisters don't have any income it's still an anxious time um so i do i try to get out there and 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 pick it as much as i can it has not translated into i thought well maybe i'll get out there and like end up with more toned legs and i'm i mostly just get sunburned i'm not sure i'm getting any muscle mass um <laughs> it's not fair it's just not fair this is yet another thing they're putting us through <laughs> um but it is like i mean look you know i think like so many of us we i was saying just a minute ago like I'm writing comics and I'm writing the newsletter and I'm like teaching today. And like, there's all these other things that we've been forced to do because a, a living as a full-time television or a film writer is just not feasible in the past decade. Yes, that's really true. And, uh, you know, it was a joke initially at the beginning, there was almost this sort of veiled thread of October and, you know, joke was well october of what year you know like we're, we're we were born in this darkness of not being paid like what you know so so i i will say i was pre-wga in 0708 for 07 the strike um and i actually organized uh some of the 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 G4 shows and was not successful in getting into the guild, even though our NLRB vote was very high. So I had to wait almost the the full. <laughs> I, wait, I did. I was probably the oldest rookie to get into the WGA last. Week. Um, uh, maybe that's not true. I don't know if that is true, but but um, you know we sort of. Yeah, it felt that way. That that that. Um, but I supported the strike then. I found a couple of pictures I had from 2007 that were um, uh, not much has changed. Even the signs are basically the same. We we kind of increased the font size, I think, for the for the car traffic by the looks. But um, yeah, th this one feels like it's a there's a real um, threat behind it that had we not done um this labor action that i don't think there was going to be a business i'm hopeful that out of it there is a culture change and i think that's why we're recording this a, a couple of weeks before you have an opportunity to listen to it i am hopeful that in september and october we hear back but it does feel like the other side now the ceos are negotiating with themselves i think to be able to say well how are we going to remake this business and that's a conversation that is long overdue to your point. In the meantime, uh, we're, we're making comics and, and taking a lot of photos. And that was what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, you have come out with this terrific book that you put together of photos from what the last 20 years, I think. I, yeah, it's 20 years. I didn't mean for it to be, um, quite the autobiography that it ended up being of the, my last 20 years. I really did. It's it. I sound like a dunce when I say this, but I saw the Big Lebowski and thought, well, it looks like it's a bit more fun to be poor in LA than it was in New York at that time. I needed to change of pace. I needed to come out, and so I I came out west. I didn't have a car, which actually was an advantage at that point. And I had brought a camera. I 
a lot of those pictures don't survive what ones that do are in the book and then i yeah i i as i have had more success in comics and being able to be invited to comic book cons the comic cons over the years i would rather um walk around the streets do some street photography go out with friends take the camera then sit in the hotel room and and write or or that sort of thing so i've been very lucky and very privileged to to be able to be asked to go around the world so it's uh i don't know the book makes a heck of a lot of sense if you weren't into me like because i'm i am the lens i think but but that's so part of the charm and part of what and i and i told you this when i was first received the book from you know you had crowdfunded it and and so it went out to those folks first but when i first received it like i was genuinely moved to be on this journey with you like it is it is incredibly sweet and nostalgic and like you are offering this glimpse of what it was to like arrive in a city and then try to make a living doing a thing that you loved and and that aspect of it is absolutely moving on top of that the photos are beautiful like they are of a time and place and they are evocative and you also have a great visual mind this is what i wanted to talk about today um is i know it's in the book but let's talk about it like have you always been a person who goes to visuals first do visual and story come together for you what's what's your your background on that stuff well first of all thank you f- for the kind words i i'm um uh, you know i'm very moved it meant the world to to hear that you liked the book and i think um i was always c- considering myself to be um a differently abled visual artist i i tried to draw and i just could not draw i've loved comic books and i thought wouldn't it be cool to make comic books um but i i really obviously lacked the one thing that was absolutely necessary and that was the ability to to render compelling drawings and um i i gave that up right rightfully so this photography became the itch that i used to scratch it but i think it, there is such a um education and a journey that you can go on in just trying to make compelling photographs that will inform how you write especially if, for comic books for a visual artist to then take with and run and make their own um even um Phil Noto, who I've been very lucky in, enough to collaborate with, he's a fine artist. He's um, a comic book artist. He's he can do sequentials. He has so many skills that he does well. That you know, most times you find an artist that do, that can do one thing well. You cherish them. You protect them. You want to always work with them. Phil, um, unique talents that can do so many things so well, and he's also a photographer. And it it made it can if i'm in a rush or i want to give him the ability to 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 really nail it i go i'll just call out sort of lens you know i'll say this is a 50 millimeter lens you know which is a portrait lens and so that that he would know oh okay this is gene gray portrait 50 millimeter and then I don't take credit for this. He does this, but there'll be the soft backgrounds. You know, he can render a very um, like effective, he can do likenesses up close. That's why Lucasfilm loves him. But then that background, that bokeh, that's kind of smeared, like almost background lens. It's just something that he then picks up and runs with. So um, yeah, it's, it's a, a great question. I, I love to write or who um it's difficult to write i'll rephrase when i don't know who the artist will be for a story and so as i've gotten very privileged i don't write anymore for for people i i'm like look tell me who's booked and then i'll write for that person and then i kind of write as though i'm imagining what i'll get and it always comes back better but but that is my process is i do write it once for the artist or do notes the art will come back and then i will write it again you sort of throw away that script and you try and do um, the caption contest punch it up clarify it and and then shrink the any 
balloons and boxes down so I'm, I'm not covering up more of what you really are there for and that's the other was this i mean after the when did writing begin for you uh you know after you realized you can't draw <laughs> when did you say well i can i can create pictures with words i you know i it was an early um thing that i tinkered with and had no sense of whether i was good or not but it was always a means to an end whether it was a sketch or something else because i was also i was performing a lot and i do recommend that for any writers to be able to get on your feet take an acting class i took gear i i went to emerson and studied acting and i was doing you know studying shakespeare and um i ended up really disliking the business of acting and so was looking to transition um to something else i knew i wanted to be involved in and make things um and that's why comic books has been so important to me because you know we can you as you know for a, a feature film you might carry it around for 10 years and not be able to to um ever see it executed as a film a comic book with the right partner and and even you don't need a publisher anymore you could have that comic out in as little as 90 or 100 days and so there are stories of mine that i am just thrilled that exist as a comic book um i never dreamed that comics would become anything other than comics batman 89 you know i'm 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 gen x so i was like wow that happened like who would have ever thought and then it became obviously the this blueprint for you know we have kang on billboards now like it really does feel like what universe are we in the nerds won this thing you know like like it's not it's not just you know the the nfl players that are selling things anymore it's it's um, you know, we we came, we talked, we conquered, and I, and I actually am a little worried there's going to be a hangover. You know, I don't know what the future holds. The part of the nervousness or anxiety or questions that we all have: what is the business like on the other side of this? And also, what are what is the appetite of the audience for any of this? You know, we've been culturally so successful this nerddom. You know, our, our deepest sort of weirdest parts of the, the Marvel handbook, the DC handbook have been now mined and exploited in these wonderful ways. And, you know, I do, I, I worry sometimes what is the, how far down does that go? You know, do we have a new shift coming out? And I don't think anyone knows the answer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been interesting to have those conversations, uh, like at at Comic Con and at other Comic Cons. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us who are in various parts of this industry are, I wouldn't say it's concerned, but are more curious about it. You know, there's always going to be a desire for this stuff that you know we all we all grew up loving and that people still grow up loving, but it's just about I think about the scope of it in the future. It's interesting to me, I, um, is a quick aside or hopefully quick aside on Halloween. I'm the comic book guy. So I drag my spinner rack out and I put it at the curb. And for some of these kids years ago, they were in the costume of the character that I was handing them a comic book for Iron Man, God and Iron Man, Spider-Man. Oh, maybe I have some Batman. Sometimes it was their first comic book um that 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 they'd ever held and um i have noticed in recent years last year especially that i saw a lot of sort of the justice league and the avengers and star wars on the parents there was a lot of the the youth that were in other things and i understood that i just spiritually understand that like the next generation will go well what do i get you know what's something that's cool that my older brother or my father didn't have the toys for and stuff and so i think we all need to be thinking about that as as writers and to go you know sometimes taking that shot of of doing something that is completely different that no one has an appetite for at that moment doesn't mean that you're not on to something yeah i mean to you and i it's funny 
I've been having this conversation a lot with writers, especially like out on the line lately. Do you think that in coming years, we're looking at a new appetite might be too strong a word, but a new acceptance for original material? I, uh, I hope so. Um, I, I think even it doesn't mean that that other stuff gets diminished. It, it may even be nourishing, right, to be able to go. And certainly, I think, for the health of our th- partners, our theatrical partners, right, like, I think we need to diversify there. Uh, you know, I, I, um, I used to, like, one of my favorite movies is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And I saw uh, a couple of screenings here in Los Angeles where Shane Black spoke before, spoke after, and was talking about what a miracle it was that this movie got made and how it didn't really get a wide release. And um, that, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe might not exist without that movie. You know, Robert Downey Jr., I don't think, was going to be cast as Iron Man without that movie. And then you don't know where any of this stuff went. Maybe it never happened, you know, in the in the what if. Maybe Uatu was looking down on that and going, and in this universe, there was, there was no $25 billion mega franchise. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I miss those movies. Um, I miss not having those movies to go to the, the movies, you know, that, that aren't one in a, you know, in a string of, and I'm, I'm not saying I, I enjoyed all of these things as much as anyone, but, but it is, you, know, you, you can't have your favorite meal every day. <laughs> Absolutely. No, we, we want both. And I think, we as writers and I think actors and, and, you know, folks who are on the ground making this stuff are aware that it all feeds each other, right? Like this is, this is where you're finding actors to be your uh, celestials or whatever, but like, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, those things can't go away. I wanted to ask, uh, I didn't realize you had studied acting and I think that's really interesting. So you are coming to writing with this really fascinating, like interdisciplinary, background of you know visual arts and acting and channeling that into a third craft of storytelling how do all of those things come into play in your brain when you are coming up with story when you're writing a script it's a great question i think probably everyone is is different in terms of a process but there are definitely emails that i send myself that are dialogue that don't have home that doesn't may not even have a home yet right in um in our serialized comic book world knowing that you have a like a great argument that you can have two characters um throw at each other and then you can later reverse engineer um that into a story is great there's just a beat in, with Scott, uh, with Cyclops and, and Jean Grey, where they disagreed over how to deal with the brood. Right, the classic X Men villain that was itself a, a nod to to you know the the aliens uh, in in the uh, Ridley uh, sense of the word aliens, and um, so sometimes I think visually. Sometimes I, it's like the actor brain part of me that, um, I think it's, it's certainly where it helps the most is a buff to dialogue. And for anyone that is writing dialogue, I really do highly recommend you do sound like a kook, but to, I recommend listening or reading your own dialogue out loud. And just seeing how it plays in your ear, because inevitably you will figure out a, a a funnier or shorter way to do it. Yeah, there's something to, I mean, especially in TV film, right, where you are writing for someone else to say it. You're writing for actors. Like, you have to make sure that this dialogue is sayable. When you are, so let, let's talk about like some original stuff 
um, which like I've I've so enjoyed your Substack newsletter where you're uh, you've sort of serialized uh, the the giant monster comic. Remind me what that is titled. The name King Dong did not clear, so we went with uh, the giant cockju, and it was uh, it came from a very sort of middle school lizard part of my brain that has always asked, well, why did why doesn't Godzilla have a dick? Or where is he shit? You know, and and so it is. It's very there's this like the lizard part of your brain when it commits to something. Sometimes it takes a little bit of courage to do something very stupid. And I only made this comic book to make my friends laugh and have a good time. And there's even some smart jokes in there. Um, it's it's very silly. It was a great COVID project. You know, to be able to lock to lock away, and and Scott Koblish, uh, uh did such a wonderful job illustrating it. Um, just committing to to the bit, but we serialized that on Substack, and you know, that's my favorite joke in there is the silly back and forth between these two fighter pilots about whether or not the call sign Italian Ice was cultural appropriation. It just didn't show up until the PDF, you know, when you're just sitting there looking at it and going like, it's a really nice panel of two fighter jets. I don't want to let it go. You just sort of sit there and you just think about it for a little while. And, you know, there is method to the madness. But this is, I mean, you know that this is your secret weapon, right? Like I remember a decade ago when you were writing, you had just taken on Deadpool, you were writing that full time and like, you're doing this crazy batshit stuff, but it's also based in character. And it, there's so much warmth to the stuff that like, it could be very off-putting, but in fact, it's really very human and likable. Are you aware of that? Or is this just the way you write? I, I don't, I don't know. I have always felt like I didn't always knew what, how I did what I did. And that was why during Deadpool, I really did. I'd never felt like I wrote Deadpool. I always felt like I was writing his villains and that then he would just talk his way. He was someone that I imagined would talk his way out of it. I think that's just where having this, you know, the shut in imagination, the large imagination on a shut in kid is helpful for these things. Um, You know, writing the red skull, it makes you feel dirty, but Captain America will know how to get out of it. So what is on any of this stuff? What is the, what's the fun part for you? And what is the challenge for you? I, my most fun is seeing the art come back. And it is also the challenge because I've, I wrote something in a week that it took someone two months to draw. And so then I'm left with, boy, I have to always raise my game to this level. And so there is a moment when the art comes back and I look at it and I go, Oh, I've sometimes I leave myself a lot of work too. Sometimes it's the, the only dialogue that, that is there is Cyclops makes a strong case for why this is wrong or, and it's just a placeholder place. Uh, and, and, uh, but it's always so much fun to see how someone took something that was not an easy ask to draw and then succeeded um in a way that despite whatever my not glen gary leads were in the script to be able to 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 make that uh, visually interesting and exciting on the page for our audience it makes me feel very very lucky so so how often in your initial scripts those ones that you you know write in a week so your artist has stuff to work with they know what the story is your editor knows what the story is um on that stuff how much are you describing visually how much is it you know a visual letter to your artist uh it's a great question um i will share uh on my substack or with you any of the scripts that I'm able to, I always feel like it's I'm being paid to tell a story and I tell that story, but I, I always leave the invitation of if you see a better way to do it, go forth and do it. I'm describing very um it's always a dance. 
especially with a new collaborator, sometimes I over explain. And then some, sometimes with, with um, someone that you're working with for a long time, it's just a, we need a monster. And then, you know, generally what kind of monster will show up and you're, you're always going to be surprised. So it's part of that is familiarity, but I always think it's my job to give them something. They can go a different way. Um, but, but I am, I just take that part of the job pretty seriously. Um, that was also the fun thing that, as you know, comedy is is harder work than tragedy i think you know for someone like you're you're having it's if you're laughing at something in a comic book or a film or movie sure there's an effortlessness i hope that it could feel like but for instance spider-man swings into a new iron man uh, comic uh, that's going to print this week um tony stark has lost his money and I was looking at this page for two days without the right balloon for Spider-Man. And then I realized, I was like, Oh, he should just sort of give him a little bit of a razz about not having money. Did you get bitten by a radioactive pauper or whatever? Cause even hobo now, I feel like <laughs> sure. maybe offsides. not a great word. <laughs> it's offsides. And it's also what century did this writer roll in on? And, Popper is the weird archaic one that you feel like no flags were thrown, but there are some things that take longer. So a Spider-Man panel for me takes a long, takes longer than writing anyone. Um, uh, and that's why I'll never, ever, uh, they may never ask me to write Spider-Man. I will also never write Spider-Man. An issue will come out once every six months. You know, th that's just, that was, that was my jam growing up was, was X-Men and Spider-Man comics. And, um that you know i've i've had my dream job now so that's it's so funny to me because like the i feel like the average person would be like deadpool's funny spider-man's funny what's the difference but there's a world of difference in the kind of humor that you're writing yes it's it is um it's also something that you tend to or i tend to second guess myself always you know that the the week with a PDF when it goes to print, those are hard weeks. You know the, the we published a sixty-two page or maybe seventy-two page Hellfire Gala comic this summer, and it's roughly that's three comic books worth of content in one go. And you know that week was was brutal because those are hours where you go, oh, I just thought of something, I'll. I'll towel off from my shower and run to the computer and do and do this this thing. It doesn't ever leave. That's the part of writing that is kind of funny. Did you ever make notes in the middle of the night and stuff and trying to yeah, you're trying to I, I, most of the time I know what I'm talking about but sometimes I'm like I don't know what this uh the guy lives in the tree means. What does that mean? Like it's a note from a David Lynch version of myself. <laughs> Exactly. Are, this question comes up a lot in the um, Q and A's that I do through the Substack with with other professional writers. The the people attending are often new writers, frequently like writing their first or second scripts. And the the question they always have is, "How do you know when you're done?" Um, and it sounds like that's something that you struggle with, especially outside of a deadline. When you've got a deadline, you've got to be done at a certain point. That the deadline is everything and i think the deadline really is your friend uh, it's like a merciful friend that is like guess what it's all the time you have you know and you you do it as well as you can do it before and and so you know i do i know writers who just write us a, a script it is drawn it's lettered and that's it that's just never how I worked. I always was trying to come back and 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 continue to work it until it it wasn't uh, until it's done. You know, I, I got to I'm very fortunate again to be able to um, have that TV background and to be asked to like, you know, Dave Mandel invited me to uh, some curb tapings where 
you know, I stand behind those guys at Video Village, and you sort of realize there's no script ever. It's just whatever you can take that becomes something that you shoot that survives edit that gets to a screen, you know, is is how the sausage is really made. And so our version of that in comic books of like punching up in Video Village is looking at the art and just going oh i i can i can do this a little bit better or i or sometimes i look at a first draft of a pdf from a letterer and i just look at it and i go oh my god there's so many words and i i know that 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 i can do better i can shorten it and boil it down and that's that's where i i always apologize to the letter when it goes when i have a week like that of going i thought it was the final draft that you were getting uh, apologies but, but it this is just what the, the comic book needs that is do you have you ever in your life gotten to a point where you're like a week before deadline the monday before deadline and been like I think I did it. I think I got this all right. Or is it always to the to the end for you? No, you like I have had those times when it comes back, and because there are there are different scripts um, that um, beginnings and ends take longer. Sometimes the middle of runs get a little bit squishy, but the sometimes those scripts. Planet Size X-Men was one where there were a lot of drafts of it, but once the draft of that comic book went off for art, it didn't really change much. We polished some stuff at the end and we're moving stuff around, but like we knew we'd hit it. Um, so there are always those times, but sometimes, you know, what's funny is it depends at what point you're writing a script for comic book scripts especially there's never a script there's a script that i'm using to sort of sell the editors on and do notes and that more or less becomes what goes to the artist and then there's a very different script that goes off for lettering to match the art um because that's that's the in comic books the one thing we really don't do is our reshoots you if you're asking someone to redraw something there's usually a a very compelling reason to to do it to stop someone down you know that person is likely not getting combat pay um to do it and um a a mistake has been made if somebody is redrawing something and um i always feel like i owe it to everyone to try and address things i i remember one thing specifically from deadpool when i think we drew someone in that had just recently died and we were like well i guess we could put a mustache on that person or draw and i i don't know whose idea this was like i kind of want to take credit for it but it may it may have been jordan it may have been even uh, heather our our assistant at that time the character got colored blue and was a ghost for a moment because in deadpool that was the sort of thing that you could get away with you couldn't do that in a Captain America comic, but we were just like, nah, we'll just have the character there and they'll be dead. And that satisfied the note. You know, whoever was giving the note, like Tom Brevoort going, oh, that, that guy's dead. Okay, well, he's just passing through. That was that reminds me of uh, when Acker and I did, or it was Deadpool versus Gambit. And we had them running through New York and they were running through a production of Hamilton. And our artist, we had asked our artist to draw Lin-Manuel Miranda and it got it like it went through every round. And eventually Jordan, the editor said, like, we have to get Lin to sign off on this or we can't do it. So we're waiting and waiting, and waiting for him to sign off. And then we eventually we never heard from him. And so like days before the print deadline, uh, we were like, well, we can't go back to the artist and ask him to redraw someone. So we just slapped uh, a historical photo of Hamilton or a historical painting of Hamilton over the drawing. I'm like that did it. That gets it across. That's very funny. Yep. Public domain is is your friend. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's Indiana Jones reaching for the gun in the sword fight, but it it comes in handy. 
this will come out, uh, I think, like first week in October or something like that. Tell the folks uh, what they should pick up that you are putting out in October, other than going to your house to trick or treat where their kids can get comic books. <laughs> Please come visit me if if you know where I live. Please don't come visit me if you don't know where I live. Um, no, uh, October is going to be a fun month. Um, we have uh, New York Comic Con. Uh, if you're in uh, Manhattan, uh, do swing by. I'm expecting I will probably, uh, I've been very COVID safe. Uh, I'll be masked up at Comic-Con, I think, uh, this year especially. Um, I have uh, an X-Men comic out in October. I have uh, an image uh, one-shot that is uh, so much fun from myself and David O'Sullivan, uh, who uh, was my partner on Analog. And we, uh, it's a, it's like a Twilight Zone, uh, Halloween comic about, um, working yourself, uh, to, to death and missing life. And, um, it's, it's, but it's very funny. It's like a time bandits thing. But again, another, another thing that I'll be serializing, um, on Substack and then, uh, releasing as an image comic. And then, uh, Iron Man continues. Um, I'm very, uh, lucky to be writing both Iron Man and Avengers and X-Men during their 60th anniversary year. We're telling big story. Yeah. We're telling this big story and it made a lot of sense that, I'm sort of writing Iron Man like it's Armor Wars 3. He's had all of his Iron Man technology dumped into the um, Sentinels that are hunting now mutants, but maybe later everyone. Um, And so that's just, that's been a really uh, a joy and a change of pace from the team books, which require a muscle uh, group that gets tired sometimes. What is, what's your way into Iron Man? Um, I write him very much as Robert Downey Jr. Um, almost doesn't exist. Uh, I, I I loved Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. I thought what Robert Downey Jr. did for the Marvel Cinematic Universe was as important as anything that 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 Jack Kirby or Stan or or Don Heck or anyone ever did. I, I truly mean that. It made it. Uh, proof of concept out the gate that this was going to work lightning in a bottle but i write him i write tony and iron man and roadie like my old friends from the 80s you know when john romita jr was drawing it in the suitcase armor and um yeah I, I i write him as a guy who's struggling to stay sober in a terrible world and uh um it's been fun I, I Iron Man fans are these um they're a little like Hulk fans in that they they are very judgmental very quickly, but they've been very um kind to me. Um but I, I understand the, the the internetization of the the discussion of all of all of this kind of turned into sports. So so the number one thing for any creative brain, and especially young writers that I know um are listening you know you you cannot um let uh what you perceive as discourse to chart your true north it will never work you just have to have your true north and tell your story and if you get to write the end in comics that is a a, just a a unicorn sometimes it's a real pleasure sometimes the end surprises you (laughs) you know like I know what time the sun sets today, but sometimes the sun set at different hours in comic books. Um, so, so write it like you have just rented a car and checked all the boxes for extra insurance. Um, these characters are very hard; they're they're but malleable. They will survive you and survive a bad story, but you won't. You won't like you will. So have fun and. Be, be be boring in real life and be exciting on the page so meet your deadlines or tell everyone why you won't meet your deadlines i've i had everyone i'm sure the last couple of years has had all sorts of stuff to go wrong and and i, I was running late for the first time this year but i i uh, would like to have think i learned a, f- a few tricks about that and uh communicative and then accommodations were made so i was very 
very grateful, you know, for, for that too. I mean, these, these are all great pieces of advice from be bold to communicate, right? Like that, that's what collaboration is. And that is ultimately what any of these media we're doing is. Yes. It's um, a partnership. We have partners. We have artistic partners, whether you're just there for one issue or one collection or one story. And we are, none of us are, are irreplaceable unless you're Pepe Larraz, but don't tell Pepe. All right. We will wrap up as we always do by asking what you are watching on television or in film these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? Um, I have not um, gotten uh, out to the movies. I can't quite explain why it's my number one favorite thing in the world to do. Actually, the the easiest way is I've just I'm writing three books at the moment, and that's almost over in terms of 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 that but uh i'll tell you i'm watching a lot of star trek um yeah i'm i'm a strange new worlds guy i'm a a lower decks guy now um i uh, am enjoying the star trek renaissance uh i left uh, so i i rewatched those old movies um i just i'm marinating in that at the moment um, I think a lot of interesting sci-fi. There's also something really smart about the composition of Strange New Worlds in that they they are largely one and dones, and then hey, here's a little mythology sprinkled in, and and it helps um, that part of my brain that just needs to be entertained without trying to figure out. You, you, you know, this is maybe off topic we talk about binge brains, right. And how we've trained an audience to be able to, um, to, to just have it there in this like feed trough and make it through it as quickly or as slowly as you like. It's a, it's an issue in comic books that, you know, we, we do 20 pages a month. And so there is sometimes this, um, we have to remember if you are writing a comic book, you're writing a very different piece of material than you are almost anything else. Um, it has to work as a 20 pager. Um, and, and I, I try, have tried to stay true to that. I think that's changed my writing over the last year or two because Deadpool was like being on this rocket ship. Oh, they'll take as much Deadpool as you like to a month. It's three a month. Here's a mini, you know, and, and your guys Deadpool became an important piece of that run where madcap. No, I mean, for real, it was yes. And, you know, that really did always feel like we were in sort of a comedy troupe where anyone at any time could completely change the course of the story that you were telling, because we were laying the track in front of this locomotive. Um, and, and, and you guys did, and I was grateful for it. Um, uh, you, oh my gosh, for sure. Um, you know, now, uh, right now in my work, I'm able to be a little bit more deliberate, but I'm also trying to be forgiving for those brains of the audience that are going, Hey, what happened 30 days ago? I can't remember what I did 30 minutes ago, let alone 30 days ago. Um, so we write for the, we write for the collection, we write for the trade, but we also need to make it work as a user experience. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think it's the thing that, and you know, this is a longer conversation to have some time that like, this is where I think this is where TV is headed again, too. Like, there's a reason Suits was a big hit last month, you know, like people want that 100 episodes, uh, episodic TV with the soap opera going on in the background, right? The stuff that we all sort of came up on or grew up on. Um We'll see, you know, if if the industry wants that or if they're still going to chase stranger things. Who knows? I I will be very interested. I wouldn't hazard a guess about what's going to come out, except I will say this. I think we have been successful in in our labor action. And now it's just a question of let's let's get a deal and get back to work. I, I do feel I felt all the solidarity and, and love on that line. I, I want to repay it for IATSE, you know, talk about golden bridges. If this is my final thought, I do hope that SAG and WGA get deals that we love, but I also, what a, if, if anyone wants to be a hero, 
maybe that's the way of we're looking at uh, in 13 months another labor action you know IATSE needs to be made whole and so that would be my wish if I had one wish to cast over Hollywood right now it would be let's make it equitable for everyone and, and move on and make really cool really cool TVs and uh, TV shows and movies and comic books absolutely Jerry thank you so much we'll see you out on the picket line yeah th thank you and thank you for the kind words about the book I was really kind of nervous about putting that out